Well, happy Friday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. We've already had some Sunbelt after dark action in, in the league this week, and Caden, we're recording this game at midnight, so we can say happy Friday morning to everyone. But last week, uh, the race for the Sunbelt title really started to come into focus as we have now headed down the home stretch of the 2022 regular season. Week nine, as we mentioned, we've already seen Southern Miss pick up a big statement win over Louisiana to move to five and three on the season. And it's still going to feature an exciting slate of weekend matchups that could further solidify those races in the East and in the West. Caden, eight weeks in the books. Week nine has already kicked off. What are you most excited about heading into the weekend? I'm most excited to just watch these teams play for what they're playing for. Every team's going to be playing for something different, some the same, some different. And I think I talked about it before. They remember November. It's going to be a very important month of ball, the most important month of ball. And it's going to be interesting to watch these teams play some of their best football. If you want to be in the conference championship game, you're going to have to play your best football this month. If you want to make a bowl game, you're going to have to play your best football this month. And some of these teams are going to be just playing for pride, just playing for bragging rights, and just playing for themselves and their teammates. So I'm super excited to watch the different motivations of all of these teams come to light. And I think we saw a little bit of that on Thursday night as well with this UL, the Louisiana Southern Miss matchup. In today's episode, we'll be previewing the four remaining games in Week 9, including a special emphasis on our game of the weekend between East Division leader Coastal Carolina and that resilient, thundering herd squad of Marshall We're also going to give our instant reaction to Thursday night's game between longtime rivals Louisiana and Southern Miss. Caden, we're in the home stretch of the season. It's crunch time in the Sun Belt. You still ready to talk some football? I'm more ready than ever, man. It's that time of year. Let's get into it. Well, let's jump right in and we'll go ahead and start with the game that just went final about 45 minutes ago as we're recording this uh, late into the evening. But Southern Miss, uh, they hosted a big game on campus, uh, nearly 27,000 people in attendance. And they got to watch Southern Miss pull off a big victory and maybe end Louisiana's season. I think we maybe could make that leap, but Southern Miss wins 39 to 24. Caden, this was a wild and wacky game from the start. Yeah, if you enjoy football and just the little interesting things that could possibly happen with the game, this was the game for you. We obviously saw a blocked PAT attempt return for a touchdown. We saw a safety out of the end zone where Wooldridge threw a ball and they got two points there. This was a first quarter that ended with a score of five to 20. And there was just so many little different wacky things that happened throughout the game that you're usually used to seeing throughout a week or a couple weeks of college football, but you got it all on a Thursday night. I think that just speaks to some of the stuff that can happen in the Sun Belt. But it was just overall a dominant performance for Southern Miss. I think the score might be a little deceiving in this one, but they got out early. They were able to play their brand of football, lean on their running game and lean on their defense and make it very hard for Louisiana claw back into this one. Okay, and in this game, we saw two safeties, two interceptions, a forced fumble, turnovers on downs, and a 52-yard touchdown pass all before halftime. Uh, this one was exciting from the start, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks in this game. You're going to look at the stat lines afterwards, and you're going to think that the quarterbacks' games were maybe flipped, but Zach Wilkie throws an interception on his first play from scrimmage in this game, but really bounced back nicely. He managed the game, ended up throwing two touchdown passes, Meanwhile, Ben Woolbridge throws three interceptions in this game, almost four if you count that one where uh, it was picked off on that two-point try. Uh, But I really felt like Zach Wilkie settled in and he did a lot of nice stuff tonight for Southern Miss. Yeah, if you look at Zach Wilkie's stat line, it doesn't look like anything much different than he's been doing all year. We obviously talked in the pre-show, wanted him to get down on those turnovers. He did it on the first play, got it out of his system and really took care of the ball for the rest of the game. But I think this really goes to show what it looks like if you have this young quarterback playing with a lead. I think they've been playing 
their defense is playing strong in the first half, but they haven't necessarily been able to turn it to points. And you've watched Southern Miss these past two weeks have to claw back into games and scrap back into games. But now when they have a lead, you can kind of play your brand of ball, relax a little bit. He looked a lot more settled in, converted some big third downs for them, had some accurate passes and some big plays downfield. And that's really all it took. He didn't have to do much more than he's ever had to do for this team these past two weeks where he got wins, but he just looked a little bit more comfortable knowing that he had this defense had his back early, that he was able to play with that lead, lean on that run game and do their really their brand of football and do what they do as an offense. Meanwhile, for Louisiana, Ben Wooldridge, he throws three interceptions in this game, but still throws for 336 yards through the air, a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, there's already some people, you know, blaming this performance on him a little bit. But, Caden, when you look at how he played in this game, there was a lot of good things to take away. And he, by far and away, I believe, is still the best quarterback on this roster for Louisiana. 100%. Despite the turnovers, I really like what Ben Woldridge did tonight. I think his deep ball accuracy and some of his accuracy on the sidelines is really keeping them in this game. And I think he was putting the ball on the money. His turnovers and his mistakes were just super super critical those three interceptions were huge also on a fourth down conversion he just made a wrong read and tried to force a ball when he had a easy conversion attempt right there but chris smith had a fumble as well and the defense made some mistakes and let some big plays get behind them early so it was overall a team effort obviously if you're the quarterback and you have your ball the ball in your hands more than anyone else when you have a loss like this it's gonna reflect on you more than anyone else on the team but i really think it was just a collection of collection of everyone on Louisiana having a slow start to the game period and then they weren't able to really claw back and once they were trying to they played a little bit out of character that's where you see some of those careless turnovers and things like that so I think it was a tale of two halves and I think defensively you like what you see if you're Louisiana in the second half but you would like a better start and then offensively if you do that you can set your quarterback up to not have to force those turnovers and maybe play a little bit out of character yeah, I mean, Southern Miss gets off to a hot start, and Caden, you kind of briefly alluded to it. They've played from behind a lot in games this year. They've won some tight games, and that's the sign of a good team. But in this game, they go out and they score 29 points in the first half, which was the most that they've scored in a first half since 2017 when they scored 38 versus Charlotte. And here's why that matters, Caden. This Southern Miss defense has been asked to do a lot this year, and what Southern Miss proved in this game is if you give that defense a big lead, they're probably not going to cough it up. That defense was firing on all cylinders tonight. Oh, the defense looked great. I mean, up front, they were constantly in the backfield. They were making Woldridge very uncomfortable play after play. And then in the run game, I mean, I got to the point where watching it, I felt like Louisiana should just abandon the run game because it was very clearly not going to work, whether they were trying to get some sweet plays or make them move laterally and or try to hit it up the middle. Southern Miss's defense was on top of all of that. So kudos to them. They definitely controlled the line of scrimmage in this game, really on both sides of the ball. And I think that's what led to their win. But another thing that led to their win was just those big plays in the beginning of the game. You talked about it. Frank Gore Jr. throws a touchdown pass, a deep ball. If you're a defense, you can't give up a big play like that. And you do that. And it gives your team so much momentum. And then on top of that, you get Zach Wilkie throwing another one for 76 yards. And there's another one, another touchdown pass. And then Jason Brownlee, was the recipient of two of those first down touchdown passes. And those two touchdowns really gave them that strong lead. They got up 29 to five and it's hard for any team to play down from that. But when you're a team that's like Louisiana, who's kind of dependent on the run game, not necessarily the most explosive passing team, it, it handcuffs you and it makes it hard to win. So kudos to Southern Miss for doing what they did in handling their business in the first half. So in the second half, it made it a lot easier for them. Yeah, this nasty bunch, as they call that defense for Southern Miss, probably had one of their best games of the year. They forced four turnovers in this game. Those three interceptions also force a fumble. They sacked the quarterback four times. There were six TFLs for Southern Miss. And Caden, I really felt like Louisiana's offensive line let them down in this game. It really felt like Southern Miss was living in the backfield, and that made things very difficult for Ben Woolbridge this evening. 
Yeah, I want to give a shout out to their left tackle, though, on one play, the deep ball that Ben Woldridge threw. He pointed out the guy on the end, line, end man on the line of scrimmage that was going to be unblocked. The quarterback knew that before the play, so Ben could drop back and make a decisive decision. But other than that, you were really seeing the Southern Miss defensive um, ends and guys up front as well really just be able to pin their ears back. Because in first down and second down, ULL likes to run the ball. They're kind of stubborn with it. They like to establish that, but they just couldn't get it going. So it really set up a lot of third and long pictures and those are pictures where if you're a defensive front that can get after the quarterback, you love to see it. You love to say, okay, let me put my hand to the ground and just get after the quarterback. And they were able to do that. So up front, you have to take your hat off to them for what they would be able to do in both the pass rushing game and the run stopping game. Caden for Southern Miss, Frank Gore has a big game tonight. He rushes for 87 yards on the ground, 23 carries, but he also threw that 52 yard touchdown pass early on in this game. Uh, he continues week in and week out to live up to that super back moniker. 100%. I mean, you normally have to worry about his legs every single time you see him in that superback formation just because people don't understand. It might look weird from time to time if you look at the timing of those plays, but if you get a running back like Frank Gore Jr., who's as talented as he is, get the ball snapped to him and he has about three yards of space and time to figure out where he's going to hit the hole, that's huge for him. And he made them pay for that. And then on top of that, he gives a little step forward and is able to hit a touchdown pass as well. So he was doing it all for that Southern Miss offensive attack today. And I think if you're anyone who's playing them going forward, you definitely have to key in on him. But it's kind of hard to do just because you give them enough attention. They show today that receivers like Brownlee can make some things happen on the back and if you get caught slipping. So I think he's going to do a great job. The better he plays, the more the receiving core might be able to shine as well. So I look to see more balance. And if you look at Southern Miss really Maybe we see them going forward, try to maybe get a lead, play a little bit more aggressive in the beginning of the game, knowing it can pay off for them in the second half. So I'm curious to watch them the rest of their schedule and see if they stick to this model or just go back to their old ways where they're playing in these shootouts. Okay, and I was also pretty impressed tonight with Will Hall's fit where you've gotten used to the dress shirt and tie look, but he threw on a nice vest this evening over the top of that. And I I thought it was a really clean look. 100%. I think the kids... At Southern Miss, were able to get the day off from class, I believe. So they were they had some extra time in the day to do some things before the game. And I'm sure Will Hall had a little bit extra time on his hands, it looked like, to maybe go to the student store, get a little vest. He was looking sharp for sure. It definitely is a long time coming from his first couple weeks where he was sweating through that white dress shirt. He cleaned up a little bit tonight in the night game, put the vest on. And I think it's hard not to argue that it had a contribution to Southern Miss's win tonight. Yeah, you have to imagine it did. Uh, last thing on this game was, and you briefly mentioned it a moment ago, was just the receiver play. Jason Brownlee has a big performance, three catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns, including that one for 76. And then Michael Jefferson has a career night, career high 179 yards receiving in this game with a touchdown. I really felt like both wide those two wide receivers, but really the wide receiver rooms for both teams had pretty solid performances this evening. Yeah, and I think both of them really took advantage of the play-action game as well. They were in one-on-one matchups because both defenses knew knew they were going to run the ball, so they had their guys man up. And then once you had the play-action aspect of it, the offensive lines held up just a little bit in all of those deep ball situations to let them do some things. So kudos to those two guys having big nights. I know they're probably used to blocking a lot more than running routes, so I know they're both excited about the stat lines they had, and they're hoping to do some more damage to some secondaries the rest of the year. Well, we'll certainly see Southern Miss now 5-3 and three on the season. Uh, they're playing some good football and on the verge of bowl eligibility. They've got games at home against Georgia State next week before heading to Coastal and then coming home for South Alabama before rinding out the season with ULM. So you have to imagine Southern Miss is going bowling this year. Meanwhile, though, for Louisiana, Caden, this might be the end of the road here. They've got games against Troy, Georgia Southern, Florida State, and Texas State. When I look at that, I say it's going to be hard to get those two wins that they're still going to need. There is a path forward there, 
uh, but they're probably going to need some big offensive performances from uh, Ben Wooldridge and company. 100%. This is that time of the year where you start to look at, okay, how are teams getting close to that bowl win and what are, what is it going to take for them to get that and who are they going to have to beat? So if you're looking at Louisiana, it's definitely tough. They look a little bit like they have their back against the ropes, but we see week in and week out with this conference. You can't count any team out. And it's obviously, if we were, if it was so easy to predict, we would, we'd be predicting and we'd be putting real money on our bets and, and they'd be hitting. So I'm excited to watch these teams. Like I said in the beginning, have to fight for bowl eligibility, have to play for different things and different causes if you look at both sides of the ball. So we'll see how those teams stack up against UL when it comes to that time for them to play. Well, that was the Thursday night game. Let's move on to Saturday's slate. And, Caden, we'll start with our game of the weekend between Marshall and Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers, one of those two bowl-eligible teams, along with Troy in the conference so far, they're going to make their way up to Huntington uh, this game is going to be uh, at 7 p.m. on NFL Network uh, on Saturday evening. It's actually going to be the first ever meeting between these two programs. Coastal comes in leading the East Division at 3-1. and one. Meanwhile, Marshall at 1-2, and two, tied for last. Uh, but coming off of that big victory against James Madison, we'll start with Marshall in this one, Caden. And the question, again, is the quarterback position. They go with Fancher last week. He, you know, I feel like had a, a decent game. We've talked on this podcast about the style of play that Marshall plays and why he might fit better. But Columbia's on the top of the depth chart again. It will be interesting to see if they go with him. Um, who would you go with against this Coastal team? Yeah, it's not going to be a surprise to anyone, I think, who's heard me talk on this podcast. But I would just go with Fancher. It's the similar thing we talk about with Ben Wooldridge. It's once your team's not complete, once you have to lean on your run game, lean on your defense, and your passing game isn't as explosive, I think you have to go with who fits best for your team. And I think Fancher has proven that he's the best fit for this team. He's more of a dual-threat option. He can run with his legs. It opens up their read option game and gives a defense another thing to worry about when they really only have one thing to worry about normally, which is Laybourne running that ball across the middle and running on the outside edges of the defense. So I think you have to go with Fancher. He's coming off of the big win as well that's who I would go with personally he didn't throw the ball too terribly bad but he was also going up against a pretty elite JMU defense so I'm going with Fancher if it's me personally especially when you talk about the offensive line who's also struggled to protect I think he can maybe even protect himself a little bit better than Columbia just with his mobility his legs and the things he can do as well yeah I think that's going to be the most interesting part of this game is who do they go with at quarterback but then you look at this coastal team and Caden their run game needs to bounce back in a big way against Marshall they have a season low 90 yards against an FBS opponent uh, in their game uh, two weeks ago against Old Dominion. They didn't have a, a single running back over 50 yards. Reese White was a little under 50. They didn't run for a touchdown, which has become a staple for Coastal Carolina uh, over the last couple of seasons. Just And they'd had two touchdowns in three straight games prior to that. Uh, if you're this Coastal team, how do you get that running game going early against uh, a very good run defense that Marshall has? Well, I think if you look at what happened the week before when they played Old Dominion, Old Dominion was coming off of a bye week, and I think they had more time to really scheme and look at the intricacies of Coastal's running game because it's a very complicated one when you think account for the read option game, the pitch game. There's some really complicated reads for the linebackers, and I think for them, that's their bread and butter, and they expect it to work. So for them, I think they have to work more on their counterattack. It looked like they got figured out. Their first reads got figured out. Their second reads got figured out. And there was a hat on everybody who was potentially going to get the ball in those situations. So I think it really comes down to the execution of it. The scheme is there. It's going to work. You have to be patient with it. But I think as far as execution goes, that's really on the players. And I think the players are going to have to break tackles and have to fight a little bit more for those extra yards, which just was not happening against the Old Dominion team. And I think it was very clear in that game that they got after it. And the Marshall defense that they're playing got after it as well last week. So I think it's really going to be from the neck up for this team. Their scheme works in the running game. I think it's just going to be about them willing to 
push the extra mile, break an extra tackle, and make that one extra block to get them some more explosive runs. Meanwhile, Marshall, they ran it with ease last week against the James Madison defense that has been as good as any. Uh, They put up a season high 167 yards against that James Madison defense. That was the most that they'd given up all year. Uh, Coastal comes in in the bottom half in the Sun Belt, giving up about 148 yards a game on the ground. Uh, This has to be an exciting thing for Marshall. I can imagine Kalen Laybourne's licking his chops a little bit heading into this game. Yeah, shout out to Kalen. He established himself last week as now one of 2,000-yard rushers in, in, the, some, in the entire country. So you got to give it this props to him, and you got to expect to see a heavy dose of him in this week. And you talked about it. Marshall, or sorry, Coastal struggled to stop the run last week, and that's going to be something they're going to have to do this week. But I think they also had some struggles in the passing game. I think now they sit towards the bottom of the conference as well, defending the pass. And thankfully, that's not going to be a thing that's really going to be an issue for them in this game. But Coastal, I think they had a week, they had a bye week to sit on this loss that they had really process things and dwell on it and they're a championship caliber team they know what they're capable of so i think this bye week was just a lot of them thinking about what they have to do and how they have to change from the week before so i'm excited to watch them sit down process as a defense as a whole team really how are we going to bounce back from this loss that was let's just be honest a little bit embarrassing and stop this marshall team that has a lot of momentum right now Kane, one last thing on the offensive side of the football for coastal and that is how can they neutralize this you know this Marshall pass rush that's been so good this year the herder in the top four in the conference in terms of sacks but then you look at Coastal they've given up just 14 sacks which is you know top five in the league what do they need to do to keep Marshall out of Grayson McCall's backfield yeah I think if it becomes an issue you might have to use some max protection I know Coastal likes to do a lot of funky things with their running backs and get them into space and coverage they'll even run the running back down straight down the middle of the field after a short little pass protection they might have to leave the running backs in pass protection if that starts to become an issue but I think the biggest counter that they're going to have to all that pass rush is going to be Grayson McCall and his decisiveness as a quarterback he knows the offense at the back of his hand so the best thing he can do is get the ball out of his hands fast and know where his guys are and he's very good at that so I think that's going to be the best way they can combat that pass rush is just Grayson being Grayson, not what we saw last week, but really what we saw the majority of the season as far as him being decisive, getting the ball out of his hands and avoiding getting hit. And if he does get in those situations, also using his mobility wisely as well. Kane, you've already talked about it a little bit uh, in this preview, but Coastal had a really bad performance on defense against Old Dominion. They give up a season high 528 yards, uh, 323 of those came on the ground and It feels like forever ago, but that was the game that Blake Watson went for a program record 261 yards um, on the ground. Uh, They had just one sack, four TFLs, which is very uncharacteristic of this Black Swarm defense. Uh, They failed to cause a turnover for the first time all season. If you're Coastal, you've obviously been sitting for a week. What is the key to bouncing back against uh, this team? Yeah, Coastal's going to have to get back to their roots and get back to where they are. I've been kind of challenging them a little bit on this podcast all year to get back to their old ways, and it's really just been a consistency thing. They've been showing good quarters and halves, but not necessarily full game performances. And I think the biggest problem with that leads to Coastal's problem as a whole is just playing complementary football with the offense and the defense. You'll see one unit play good, one unit play the other, and that's why in the beginning of the season when they were having some of those late wins and they were still winning, it was all good, but then when none of it's clicking at all on both sides of the ball, that's when you see you get a little bit embarrassed by a team like ODU. But I think when you look at Coastal's defense, when you look at them playing their best ball the last couple of years and historically, it's been their running or their linebackers playing sideline to sideline, aggressive football, getting running backs on the ground fast. It's been their effective pass rush with those big guys up front like they have with Josiah Stewart. And it's their defensive backs making you pay for mistakes and making you take advantage of 
when the ball's in the air, we're going to get our hands on it and cause some turnover. So I think it's really just a culmination of those three levels of defense coming together. They have talent everywhere. So it really doesn't make as much sense as far as why they can't execute on defense. So for them, it's really going to be looking at themselves in the mirror and being like, hey, we're the coastal that is that conference championship caliber team. We have the talent and we honestly have some better players on the side of the ball than a lot of teams in the Sun Belt. It's just really about executing now. So hopefully during this bye week, they did some soul searching and play their best ball that we're used to seeing. Okay, now I have the feeling this next thing we're going to talk about in this matchup is going to be your favorite, and that's this Marshall secondary. Uh, it's been really good this year. They forced four interceptions last week against James Madison and their freshman quarterback, Billy Atkins. Um, they come into this game now second in the conference to Louisiana after they had a pick against Southern Miss uh, in that game on Thursday night. Um, Coastal has only been picked off two times this year, though. If you're a DB going into a game against Grayson McCall, what are you trying to do to create opportunities to be able to pick him off? That's a great question. Listen, from playing Grayson personally, it's definitely a hard person to pick off. That's for sure. He's very decisive with the ball. And he makes very little mistakes. So I think what it really comes down to is how much your defensive front can put pressure. They had seven sacks last week, which was huge. And I think a lot of that pressure is when you saw a quarterback who was a freshman in that game make some indecisive plays, throw the ball, and then that's when you get your hands on it. So it's going to come down to that pass rush, I think, being able to make some plays. But ultimately, I don't think if you're playing a team like Coastal, I think it's way more important to stop than to take the ball. I mean, you looked at this defense last week, one of the most impressive stats. They had 11 three and outs. That was awesome. So if you can get them off of the field, I think to a certain capacity when you have an offense like Coastal, that's just as good as turning the ball over. So just if you're a back end, Hopefully your guys up front can make things hairy. You can get your hands on the ball, but just play sound football because that's what Grayson McCall is going to play over there. He's not going to do too much. Just limit the big plays. And if you do see a chance, take it, but don't be too risky because that's when you have those plays where you miss a tackle and then it's a house call. So just play your, play your ball, trust your guys up front, and hopefully things will go your way. Well, one big thing to watch out for in this game, Grayson McCall with a touchdown throw in this contest would become the all-time leader in that category in Coastal Carolina history, currently tied with Alex Ross for 72 career passing touchdowns. So be watching out for that one, perhaps very early on in this game. Well, let's move on now. Georgia State Old Dominion. This game is going to take place at 3 p.m. on ESPN Plus on Saturday. It'll be the fourth meeting between the two programs, but it's actually going to be the first meeting since they were both members of the CAA uh, in 2012. And Kane, we've talked about it. Uh, Old Dominion, you know, one of the biggest surprises in the Sun Belt this year. They've played some really good football, but I think one of the things that we'll start with the running game for Georgia State that we're watching out for, Tucker Gregg comes in, a podcast alum, 44 yards away from becoming the all-time leading rusher um, in Georgia State history. And really, if you're Georgia State, Jam Williams struggles a little bit in that game uh, last week against App State. Tucker Gregg still goes for 96, but they need to establish that two-headed monster of Jam Williams and Tucker Gregg very early on in this game. 100%. I'm really excited about this matchup. This Georgia State team is getting a week of rest that I think they really needed, and they're playing at home. So I think they're very much a team where if you look at the record, it's not by any means an easy team and an easy out. They're going to bring their A game, and they're going to bring it with those two running backs you were just mentioning. I think it's going to be very fun to watch those guys try to get behind this front seven of Old Dominion, especially when you talk about a guy like Jason Henderson, who's leading the nation in tackles right now. I'd love to see a dream matchup of him and Tucker Gregg meeting in the hole. Just two hard-nosed dudes playing ball, and I think that's what it's really going to come down to a lot of the ways. Obviously, if your skill players out wide can show up big in this game, I think it'll be good. If you can get Ali Jennings going, if you can get the receivers at Georgia State going like Thrash, I think it'll be a good game. But I think ultimately up front, especially when you look at Georgia State, when they have the ball, 
if they run the ball effectively and they get to downhill and they get behind their pads of Tucker Gregg and can use GM Williams as a little bit more of a changeup to be elusive and keep Old Dominion's front seven on their toes, that's going to be big for them and vice versa. When you look at Watson, some of the ball he's been playing as well, had his two best games of the season coming off that. So I think up front, there's a lot to watch in this game and a lot to consume. And I think it's going to be one of those bruiser type games. Caden, we are used to a very good rushing attack for Georgia State, but suddenly I wanted to ask you, is Old Dominion a rushing team? They've We've seen Blake Watson go for back-to-back 100-yard performances. They've now gone three straight games with over 100 yards. They hadn't done that in their first four. Uh, it feels like this Old Dominion team has evolved, maybe starting to change their identity uh, or at least building on their identity as the season has gone on. Yeah, I've been saying it, but I really like this offensive turnaround by ODU and what I've been seeing these past two weeks. I think they're obviously one and one, so it's not the most impressive thing when you look at the the scores of their games. But I think when you look at what they're doing, it's so much improved from the beginning of the season and those struggles they had. It's it's really hard not to notice and it's hard not to appreciate. They're getting Watson going in the run game. They have a package for their dual threat quarterback, DJ Mack, where he runs the ball and can throw the ball a little bit. And that takes a little bit more off of Hayden's Wolf, Hayden Wolf's play. You also saw some volume catches finally out of Ali Jennings. Will we see more of that this week? I think is going to be the huge question or was that something that was dictated by the pace that Georgia Southern was playing at but overall I'm excited to watch him especially in this matchup against Quavion White out wide one of the best cornerbacks and receivers going at it but I think up front as well there's a lot to be excited about I think overall for Old Dominion as a whole in that offense they look like a new unit I can't wait to watch them hopefully keep evolving week after week and especially in this game. Can you talk briefly there a moment ago about Ollie Jennings and his dominance he's having a huge season leads the country 905 yards and Uh, He's actually has a 65-yard lead on Charlie Jones of Purdue, and here's the crazy stat. You've kind of talked about this briefly on the pod, but he has 25 fewer catches uh, than Charlie Jones, Uh, eight touchdowns on the season, tied for fourth in the country. What makes Ollie Jennings such a good receiver? Well, I think at the beginning of the season, everybody would say it's it's the big playability. It's the ability to jump up for 50-50 balls, get behind defenses, and really be that vertical threat. But I think in the last couple weeks now, we're seeing pluses that you get from having a run game to go along with it and we're starting to see more volume catches out of him because the defense has to now worry about the run game a little bit more they get a little bit less attention for Ali and you see the intermediate and deep passing games really start to complement each other he's a great route runner he's a very physical body out wide and I think if you look at the Sunbelt Conference there's a lot of great receivers but not every team has a guy of his size and his stature that you can really rely on like that so I think that's really what separated him so far and like I talked about before Quavion White's one of the best corners in this um, conference. I don't know if he's going to be the, their defense is going to allow him to follow Ali Jennings around, but as a defensive back, formerly, I would just get popcorn and watch that matchup all day. So I'm super excited to watch really just the Georgia State secondary as a whole try to take on the task of stopping Ali Jennings. Is it fair to say that if Georgia State wants to win this football game, they need a bounce back performance or maybe a more uh, balanced performance from Darren Granger? He throws for a season low 73 yards, does almost rush for 100 yards. He got up to 92. Uh, ran for a touchdown but failed to throw one. I really feel like Darren Granger needs to find a little bit more balance in his game if this Georgia State team is going to run off a couple victories here at the end of the year. Yeah, no, what I have in my notes here, can Dan, Darren Granger step up to the plate? He obviously ran the ball well in that last matchup, but he did not throw the ball well. And I think that might have been a result of it being a cold game on the road. He went nine, nine for 23, 73 yards and an interception. Just not a good game throwing the ball. But now you have a whole bye week. You're rested. You can maybe work on some of that timing with your receivers and you're at home and you have good weather. So hopefully between that game and now 
have had some time to fix some stuff and clean some stuff up because he's shown that in flashes this season, he can be an explosive, dynamic guy throwing the ball as well. You saw what he had to do in that game against Charlotte, trying to come back and claw back into that one. Hopefully he can tap into some of that because it's just tough having to lean on that run game so much. And even the run game of yourself versus getting your arm going and keeping a balanced offensive attack. So I think a lot is on his plate as far as how far this team can go and how elevated their heights can be. And we'll see that in this matchup for sure. Yeah, and he's going to be facing an ODU defense that wants to get back to business. They've got 25 sacks on the season. Two of the four teams in front of them, um, in terms of number of sacks created, have actually played one more game than Old Dominion so far this year, but they failed to pick up a sack uh, last week against Georgia Southern. Uh, You have to imagine in this game that early on Old Dominion wants to establish themselves on defense and make things very challenging for Darren Granger. 100%. We've been talking about the offensive evolution, obviously, and what they've been doing on the offensive side of the ball. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's almost just as impressive. I mean, you look at their last two games, they hold Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern in both of those games to their lowest point totals of the season. 21 points for Coastal, 28 points for a Georgia Southern team who's very much more used to throwing up a lot more points than that. So I think on the defensive side of the ball, they're figuring some stuff out too. They obviously have Jason Henderson in the middle playing sideline to sideline and cleaning up everybody's mistakes. So I think on both sides of the ball, you have a lot to be excited about. And I think if you are ODU's defense after watching that last game you definitely have a little bit more to be excited about as well going up against this Georgia State offense that had its struggles last week well here's hoping that the uh, two play callers in this game dial up like an a-gap run early on for Tucker Gregg and let Jason Henderson shoot the gap because that would be a ton of fun to see but let's move on to a game Caden that if this goes south it would be really bad and that's App State versus Robert Morris I don't think it's going to we're not even going to uh, make a pick on this game at the end of the episode because I have a feeling I know what the scoreline is going to look like in this game. But it's at 3.30 on ESPN Plus on Saturday. And Caden, every time you talk to head coaches, they always talk about, you know, focusing on this week. But you have to imagine App State's looking past Robert Morris a little bit at 0-7. Yeah, so I've I've obviously been on this team and I've been in those situations where you have to play on some of these teams. But I looked it up and Robert Morris himself is actually known as the the financer of the American Revolution. So I'm hoping that They're getting paid handsomely for this game to play in it, but I don't think Robert Morris himself can save this team this week. I just don't think if you're the other team on the side of the ball, what do do you do having to go up against a team like App State? But I think, no, I think for App State, this is going to be a game where you try not to look past to your next opponent because you do have your hardest stretch of ball coming forward. But it's a good week of rest. It's a good time to get some of your younger guys some reps and see what you can do moving forward in the season and maybe some other guys you can rely on and play big. So it's obviously you don't want to overlook any opponent, but I think Rap State is really a perfect opportunity. I hate to call it a tune-up game, but kind of get some things going because there were some things last game that weren't necessarily clicking from the beginning to the end. Okay, and I don't know if the fact that you looked that up was just funnier because we're recording this late at night, but that was a great nugget right there. Um, you know, two things quick in this game. I feel like App State needs to find a little bit more balance on offense. We saw them run it a ton against Georgia State. Uh, Chase Bryce threw a season low or completed a season low seven passes through it just 17 times. The other thing that App State needs to do in this game, Caden, they have to come out of this game healthy. They cannot afford to get anyone banged up. Uh, And I think if they can kind of do those things in this game, that would really set themselves up well for that big showdown that's looming against Coastal. 100%. And I thank you for App State as well. You should really use this as an opportunity to run your offense, your defense, and your special teams just as efficiently as you can. This is one of those games where you want everything going smooth on all cylinders. And they've shown this season that it's not necessarily all the case for them. They've had some up and down moments in all facets of that game. So now you have an opponent where you can really take advantage of that and do that. And 
use that as some momentum going into the back end and the tougher end of your schedule. And like you talked about as well on the offensive side of the ball, obviously not an impressive performance in the passing game. I'm definitely looking for them to try to get Chase and Price going, get those receivers going, and maybe use some of that confidence and momentum on the back end of their schedule because they're not going to be able to win games like they beat Georgia State last week as an offense. They're going to have to need those receivers, those tight ends to get going in the passing game too. So I would definitely look for App State to try to work that as well. Well, we're not going to put any more time into that matchup. Uh, I think we know how that one's probably going to end. One quick note, though, is because this is the second FCS game of the year for App State, it actually doesn't count towards bowl eligibility. So even with a win, it doesn't count towards that six. Uh, So something to keep an eye on there. They would still need to pick up two victories uh, in addition to this one if they hope to get into bowl eligibility. Let's move on to Arkansas State and South Alabama. And this game has a chance, Caden, for us to pick up our third bowl eligible team in the conference if South Alabama can handle business. Uh, they're going to be facing an Arkansas State team in Jonesboro that's 6-4 and four all time against South Alabama. But South has won the last three, including at home last year. Uh, A-State, though, 4-1 uh, and one all time in Jonesboro. But Caden, as the season has gone on, Arkansas State has just found ways to lose football games, and I just don't see them beating South Alabama in this game. Yeah, it's definitely hard times for Arkansas State, and I think when you look at this matchup going into the season is obviously when you would favor South Alabama, but then on top of that, like similar, similar to the Coastal Carolina team we're about to see play this weekend, this is another team that has a tough loss, and they had a bye week to sit on it. And just hearing the vibes and the interviews and the energy, we talked to Carter Bradley as well and some of those leaders on the team, South Alabama is a team that wants to be vying for that championship. And the fact that they laid an egg last week and didn't play their best game, they're probably sitting in the locker room, sitting around and just couldn't wait to play in this game and prove to everyone in the conference that they're still that, that those guys, still that team. And I think Arkansas State's very much in an opposite position. And I would be pretty scared if I was them because this is a team now that was already playing well before this, but now they're probably going to be playing well and mad and with something to prove. And for Arkansas State, it's like, this is a game for them. Do we see if they even have some signs of life, some signs of something? So they think it's a very lopsided matchup, not only in what we're looking at as far as personnel and the teams, but the emotions of both of these teams as well. James Blackman expected to return from that injury that kept him out a week ago. Meanwhile, Carter Bradley coming off of just a 215-yard day uh, last week. You have to imagine he's looking for a bounce back. Caden, what can we expect from the quarterbacks in this matchup? Yeah, for Carter Bradley, I think him and that offense probably did a lot of talking this week and kind of really feel embarrassed. I think you look at a, a game where you play it and your defense holds the op- opposition at 10 points. You have to take that as an as offensive player as a somewhat of a responsibility on yourself. So I feel like they probably tried to have their best week of practice as Carter was trying to get his timing with his, rece- his receivers as best as he could. And I'm definitely looking for him to make a statement. And on the other side of the ball, James Blackman's return to this team, I'm I'm calling it the most important, unimportant news of the weekend. I think if you look at their team, last week they had a rough game and they lost very miserably to Louisiana. And you think if James Blackman was playing in that game, though, how much would be very different? I think he's proven that he can help this team in little ways. I think if you look at them last week, they went 0 for 11 on third down. James Blackman's going to help with that only possess the ball for 22 minutes. James Blackman's going to help with that. He's going to help this team stay in this game a little bit more, but I just think if you look at him and the weapons around this team, I don't think he's going to help them elevate them to that winning brand of football. I think he's only going to be able to make them be a little bit more competitive than they would be without him. Well, I think the thing that has made Carter Bradley so good this year has been his wide receivers. And Caden, I have to say that this is probably the deepest wide receiver room in the Sun Belt. They have three guys inside the top 15 in receiving yards, two inside the top 10. The only program 
that has more inside the top 15, Georgia Southern, and that's because they just throw the ball like nobody else in this league. But Devin Voison, Jalen Wayne, Colin Lacey, that has been an outstanding pairing. And really, we when we talk with Carter Bradley, he's talked about how easy it's made his job, but those guys have really had good seasons. Yeah, they've had great years, and they've been giving teams problems all year up until last week's matchup. So I'm looking at a team that has three weapons like that who are going to be probably running their hardest routes, probably trying to prove something on all of those routes. That's going to be very scary for Arkansas State. You saw last game, Voice one is really the only one that was really able to get going and get some big plays generated for that South Alabama team. But Jalen Wynn and Colin Lacey, I'm not going to say they got shut down necessarily by that, by that Troy team, but they just weren't able to get open and find those gaps. And a lot of that has to do with the pass rush and things they did up front, and their secondary did play well for Troy. So I would definitely look for all three of these guys to try to get involved and see a very similar game that they had two weeks ago when they had 300-yard guys playing because this is definitely an Arkansas State defense is going to allow them to do some of those things. Okay, and I think one of the things that we're both looking out for early in this game is how healthy does LaDamian Webb look. He returns against Troy last week and um, you know runs it eight times for 12 yards. The South Alabama team uh, had a season-low 31 yards against Troy last week. First of all, they need to establish the running game again, but they need a healthy LaDamian Webb if the South Alabama team wants to rise to the levels that they're hoping to get to this year. Yeah, and LaDamian just didn't look himself in that Troy game. You saw him kind of not moving and cutting as explosive as you're used to seeing, especially I remember specifically there was a game, a play where he got a pass and he had a little bit of space between him and a defender, and that's normally situations where he's making guys pay for it, but he kind of moved a little bit more gingerly. You have to give a shout-out to Omni Wells, though, and Marco Lee. They've definitely been picking up the slack for him and his injury troubles, but you want to get your running back one back in this game. You want to be able to use him as your main force and have your other guys be secondary and tertiary options for you and really feed off of him and trickle down from there. So you obviously every every running back room in the nation wants a three-headed monster, but when you have a guy like LaDamian Webb of that pedigree, you want him being your healthiest one and the, the biggest bruiser for you as far as establishing the run game and making teams pay for being not gap sound. And if, even if you are gaps on making you miss and making some things happen. So I'm excited if he is healthy to watch him play in this one and hoping for the best for him. Last thing on this matchup, uh, Arkansas State, they need to do a better job at minimizing chaos. They've allowed 26 sacks this season, 73 TFLs, third worst in the conference with 26 sacks allowed. Meanwhile, South Alabama, their defensive performance last week almost gets forgotten because of how good Troy was. Uh, but if Arkansas State wants to stay in this game at all, they need to do a better job at minimizing that chaos. 100%. And just being efficient on both sides of the ball. You look at their last three games, they lost the time of possession battle in each one of those. And it's simply just because they can't get the offense going and the defense can't stop anybody. It's just a bad combination to have both of those things happening at the same time. Talked about what their psyche is, what they're playing for now, looking at the back half of their season. They're going to have to find some new motivation and find some different type of inspiration to get going because they're not playing very inspired football right now on both sides of the ball, and they're playing a team that's going to be playing very inspired this weekend. So hopefully for them, they can find some new life and find something to pick them up because it's not looking good on both sides of the ball for them. They're going to have to limit some explosive plays and create some of their own if they want a fighting chance in this one for sure. South Alabama had a season-low 246 yards last week against Troy, threw for 215, which is their second lowest. Look for a bounce-back in this game from the South Alabama offense against an Arkansas State team that really hasn't been able to slow things down. Well, Kane, let's move on to our picks for the weekend. And we've already made one app. State's going to win, and there wasn't a line, so we're just going to say that they're going to cover. Uh, we'll get that one out of the way very quickly. But let's talk about this Marshall Coastal game. The Herd come in as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, this game being played up in Huntington on national television. Over-under at 55-and-a-half. I'll let you uh, have first pick at this one. 
Yeah, this is going to be a theme of mine all week, but I'm actually going to go with the team that's not favored in this one and go with Coastal Carolina. I think that step back from ODU and their bye week is going to give them a lot of time to sit down and reflect on what kind of team they want to be. And I'm looking at what team they want to be and what they're primed for. I think they're still primed for success and for just playing for that conference championship contention. And I think in order for them to be in that position, they're going to have to get this win against Marshall. So I'm going to take Coastal Carolina to win this one. So obviously they will cover, but I'm going to take the under on the points. I think Marshall's defense has been playing too good and the way they played against GMU was just too elite. I think it's going to be a hard fought battle. And I think it's going to be one where the defense are going to have to show up. And I think Marshall's defense in their last game was able to show up and win them that game. But I think, the team they're playing this week with Grayson McCall at quarterback and that style of offense is going to be a lot more similar to the JMU team that has Tots and Teo versus one that doesn't have it. So I think Marshall does have a lot to be confident about. I think whoever throws the first punch in this game is going to have the upper hand, but it will come down to the wire. And when it does, I'm going to take the veteran and the team in this conference that's proven year in, year after out that they're going to be the team that's playing at the end of the season. So give me Coastal Carolina to win so they'll cover, but I'm going to take the under on the points. Okay, and we're going to both agree on this matchup. I like Coastal Carolina in this game against Marshall. I think that Coastal will figure some things out on offense. I think they're going to look much better in this game. Uh, the Herd are probably favored because this game is at home and they're coming off of that game against James Madison where they won. But if Todd Santeo had played last week, I'm not sure Marshall would have won, and it wouldn't surprise me if Coastal Carolina was favored. Uh, I, too, much like you, I think we will see a little bit of a defensive battle. I mean, maybe Marshall puts up 20 points, which would mean that Coastal would need to put up 35 to cover the over. But um, I, I think it's safe. It's a safe bet to take the under on this one at 55 and a half. So give me Coastal to win, and I'm going to take the under on that 55 and a half. Uh, let's move on. Georgia State versus Old Dominion. Georgia State, another team uh, who's playing at home and also favored, uh, four-point favored in this one. Uh, over under sits at 56 and a half. I'll go ahead and go first here. I like Old Dominion in this game. Um, I think that they're going to have a good game. I like that Old Dominion has established the running game lately. Uh, and I think that they're going to have a strong performance. The last time we saw Georgia State at home, they were playing Georgia Southern. That was a rivalry game. They won that game, added emotion. Uh, but I think this is an Old Dominion team that's going to give them problems. Look for Ollie Jennings to have a big game. And, you know, I think that defense is really going to make things a little bit more difficult for guys like Tucker Gregg and Jam Williams. Um, so we'll see. But I, I think at 56 and a half, too, I'm probably going to take the under again in this one. Uh, I just don't see either of these teams putting up ungodly offensive totals. Uh, they haven't done that all year except for Old Dominion's game against Coastal Carolina. So um, give me the under. I actually agree with you on this one. Give me Old Dominion as well. I think Old Dominion in the past two weeks has given me enough confidence to take them in a game like this. I think Georgia State, when you look at their recent performances and the way they've been winning ball games this year, along with that slow start, it's always relying on that run game, always relying on that defense. And then it's about how much Darren Granger can elevate this team like we talked about. And I feel like betting against that is just a safer pick than betting against this All-Dominion team who looks on offense and defense to be a much-improved unit in the past two weeks. Really wish this game was at home for them, but I think even with them on the road, they've just proven these last two weeks against competition that's some of the conference's top competition that they can hang around, they can play well on both sides of the ball enough to win. So give me Old Dominion to win this one so they will cover. But I am going to take the over on the points. I think Old Dominion has proven that they can score a little bit more, a little bit better than they have in the past. And I think Georgia State's run game is going to be a little bit taxing, a little bit wearing, and they'll find their way in the end zone a couple of times too with, guy like, with guys like Tucker Gregg. So give me Old Dominion to win, them to cover, and I'm going to take the over on the points. Last up, Arkansas State versus South Alabama. Caden, you have to be reeling a little bit after South Alabama 
Lost last week to Troy, so I'll go ahead and go first here. But South comes in as a 12.5-point favorite. Over-under sits at 55.5. I already said it a little bit. I I think that uh, South Alabama is going to be looking to bounce back in this game. I think look for Carter Bradley to have a big night, and I think that South Alabama defense is going to have their way with Arkansas State. Um, So give me South Alabama to win and cover. Here's where I'm going to go off the rails a little bit, though. Uh, I don't know how many points Arkansas State is going to provide in this game, so I'm actually going to take the under on this game despite what I think will be a pretty good offensive performance from South Alabama. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows my guys are South Alabama, so I'm obviously taking them in this game. And I do think they are reeling a little bit, no, but I think just because of the team they're playing, I'm not super worried about it. I'm going to take South Alabama in this game, and I think they do cover. I think they're going to come out in this one and try to prove a statement, especially on the offensive side of the ball after the performance they had against Troy. Their defense will hopefully just keep doing the things they were doing against Troy in that game and holding that team to only 10 points. But I actually am going to take the over on the points in this one. I think they're going to be some opportunities just because of some of those lopsided. Maybe the chains get moving very fast for South Alabama. They're able to put some points up and the ball is going to be in James Blackman's hands enough for them to score some points. They've proven they can get a touchdown or two against some of these other teams they've played in the conference that have similar defenses to South Alabama, a little bit li- a little bit worse, a little bit better. But I do think this will be overall a higher scoring affair kind of blowout, if you know what I mean. So give me South Alabama to win, give me them to cover, and I will take the over on the points. Well, before we wrap up this episode, I did just want to state that by riding with Southern Miss for the last couple of weeks, my picks have been being better. I think I'm 2-0 and in the last two weeks with picking Southern Miss. Uh, so they obviously look good, but another great start to the week and uh, a great weekend to follow. Well, that'll do it for our week nine preview episode. Uh, we're both looking forward to an exciting weekend of Sunbelt football. Here's a quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Monday, where we'll recap all the action from over the weekend and begin to look ahead to an action packed week 10. Thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did take a moment, and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider leaving us a review or a rating if you like the show. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure to follow the hottest Twitter account on Twitter at at Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.